privilege to be able to have a chance to uh, try to open God's word for us today. And I'm hoping that, like he prayed, that God really will speak to all of our hearts today. The title, as you'll see in the bulletin for my talk, is All These Things Reported, They Really Happened. And I picked that up from a couple of places. One is uh, in the text that was read, it talked about uh, Herod. It says he heard about all these things that were reported to him, and he wondered what was going on. And then later it talks about uh, when the disciples came back, uh, they reported to Jesus all the things that had happened. And it's so, you know, it's easy for us to have this. Well, that happened a long time ago. But uh, we need to be reminded, these aren't just stories. These are things that really happened. And, it, and it's related to the fact that this book, if we read in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, uh, Luke says, In my previous book to you, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to, to teach and to do until he was uh, raised from the dead. And so this book, Love Luke, was written to a man named Theophilus. And it occurred to me that we are just like Theophilus in this sense. Theophilus had not seen Christ. Um, his, his understanding of who Christ was was based on this book that we have also. And so it's not like uh, sometimes we think, oh, if only we were there and were one of the disciples or one of the crowd, we could actually be seeing Jesus face to face. But that's a pretty small part of Christians in all of history that that happened to. Most of us were all like Theophilus. We, we were curious and we received uh, a book to read. And in this case, we also can read the same book. Uh, Luke has already told him about Jesus' uh, parentage and his baptism, his unique temptation. He's talked to him. He's uh, told about Jesus' messianic declarations and some of the strife that he had as a result of that with the Jewish leaders. He's given samples of the things that Jesus taught and said. He's given samples of some of the miracles that Jesus has uh, performed. And he is also, in, in chapter 6, verse 12, he listed the name of 12 men who had been following Christ, and Jesus selected them as special, called them apostles or sounds like missionaries. And they were, uh, they had been with him, they'd been watching him. They'd seen what he did. And in the section that we have now, uh, that was already read today, we see that he's telling Theophilus about a time when Jesus intentionally expands the ministry through these 12. Um, it, it's almost like they're interns. You know, they're special. They, Jesus hadn't called everybody. He'd only called the 12. And in, in uh, verse 1 here, it says that he called them in another sense, not just to be his apostles, but he said, called them together 
And it's a reminder, one of the commentaries I read said, you know, it's not like the, the crowds were always with Jesus. People had to come and go to their various families and their needs. And so it might be that the, the 12 weren't just right there, okay, let's talk. He says, hey, make sure that the 12 hear about this. They need to get together. So they came together and uh, uh, met with Jesus. A couple things I want to uh, notice about this first uh, verses 1 through 6. My points here would be related to the verbs there. He called them. Uh, he gave them. He resourced them. He sent them. And he instructed them. He uh, he gave them a purpose. That would be that one. So first of all, he called them together as a group. And, you know, it's obvious that this was now intentional. He's been doing all this stuff himself, and now he's going to expand uh, the, the number of people that are doing the same thing that he's been doing. Uh, one of the... I noticed that, like I said, only 12 were called. Were they excited? Were they proud? Were they uh, kind of like super honored? I don't know. Uh, how about the others that weren't called? You know, were they a little bit jealous or were they just excited for them? And it was a reminder to me that in in real life, there are, quote, winners and losers. I mean, the Olympics right now is a, a proof of that, isn't it? And like Paul says one time, you know, many win the race, uh, or many ra run, but only one wins. And in a democracy like ours, we talk a lot about everybody's equal. But we also know that in one sense, they're not equal. You only have the winners. You don't have, uh, some people are winners, some people are losers. And that's life. And in this sense too, this is another practical good. Jesus made a choice. I want these 12. What about the others? Are they less valuable? No. But these are ones that have a specific role that Jesus has given them. So there's that sense of people are equal and then they're not equal. It's life. Get on with it. Rejoice with those who rejoice, Paul says in Romans 12, 15. And I hope that uh, if there's any situations in our life where maybe we're having a hard time with a little bit of jealousy, let's just say, hey, we're rejoicing with the people that God has chosen to use in certain ways. The next point there I want to mention is that he resourced these 12. And it says, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. They needed that, right? Can you, can you win over demons? Can anybody just do that? Can anybody just heal diseases? Uh, diseases are healed in many ways, uh, but he didn't say, hey, you know, we're, we're going to send a truckload of, of Tylenol and other kinds of pills for you to do this healing. Healing is done with medicines. And uh, uh, it's not that, that that's a fake thing. Uh, my point is that what we have before us now is a special, miraculous kind of healing. The, the gift, Jesus was the one that had to give them power and authority. Um, 
that there's a little difference there, isn't there, between power and authority. Power means the ability to do something. If you say, um, I'm going to do this to you, and you say, you can't make me. That's talking about power. And I say, well, you just wait and see. <laughs> so in all of life, there are power issues. And, and uh, maybe the, you say, you're saying, I'm going to kick this demon out. He said, you can't make me. And you say, well, just wait and see. I have somebody <laughs> who has given me the power to, to deal with you, uh, demon. On the other hand, there's the authority. And that's the right to use the power. Uh, I talked to Jonathan, who works for the, the police department here in Woodstock, but he's not a policeman. And so we were talking. He has the authority. Well, he has the power to give tickets. But he only has authority to give, like, parking tickets, because that's, that's the level of his involvement with the city. He, he does not have authority to give me a speeding ticket. I'm not going to speed anyway, right? But, but uh, it's an example that that sometimes you may have the, the the power to do something, but not the right. I'm reminded of Jesus when he was kicking people out of the temple, and one of the things he had the power to do it. He he used a whip and was actually dumping the the cages of the doves over, and the the the, uh, the money was going flying. And what did they come to him and ask? Who gave you the authority to do this? I mean, we, are, we Jewish leaders, God has given us the, the authority to lead the Jewish religion, including the temple, and you're in here doing this stuff. I don't remember anybody giving you the right to give, give these kind of tickets here. you know. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you out, you 12. You're going to be doing the things that I did. And you need the power that I had been using. And you need also the authority. And they couldn't just go, go uh, like they say, where'd you get your driver's license? Walmart, you know? Uh, no, he, he's the one that had to be giving them the authority and power to do this. And he, this is, he did that. Um, one other note on that is that they had already been observing how Jesus used his power and when it was effective, when it wasn't, when it was hindered. Um, and as you read the, the Gospels, you'll see some of the, it, the nuances of Jesus using his power. But they'd seen it, they observed it, and they're like interns. Now he says, you can do this too. I'm giving you the, both the power and the right to do it. And then the next part there, uh, he gave them a purpose. He gave them the purpose both to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. But before they go out and do that, mimicking what he has done, he gives them some instructions. And in verses uh, 3 to 5, the instructions are, he said to them, Take nothing for your journey. No way, Jesus. But read my lips. Nothing. Take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, 
and don't even have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. There's uh, several parts to this instruction that are worth noting. He specifies some of these things that, that they might be wanting and expecting to take. And he says, no, for this trip, I don't want you to take that step. A walking stick? Uh, these are young men. They probably didn't need staffs as walking sticks, but they might have uh, also used them as kind of a club, a feeling of defense. If I would ever need it, somebody attack me, I've got at least a weapon here. Um, so he's saying, no, you're going to have to leave your defense to God. You're going to have to be uh, relying on him, not only for that, but, but the bag, like a backpack, the, the, my toiletries, Lord, <laughs> my extra change of clothes. No, he's already, don't even need two tunics, he says. How about bread? Can I stick in some, some power bars at least, you know, some granola bars in case I get hungry? They wouldn't take up much space, Lord. Uh, no, no food, no bread, uh, and even no money. Uh, I've got a credit card, Lord. <laughs> no, didn't you hear me? No. Uh, I get the sense here, and, and for those of you who don't know me, Gene and I, our career was as, as lay missionaries in the Philippines. And so I look at this now as I've looked at it my whole career and saying, Lord, to what extent, you know, were we failing? Because modern missionaries don't do this. But we have been trained, like in one of my, my professors said, when you go as a missionary, just take your toothbrush and your Bible. <laughs> and another, another person said, when you go to the country where you're going to be going as a missionary and they're expecting on this day, Go two days early <laughs> so that they're not there to welcome you at the airport. And you have to completely rely on the people there to, uh, you know. In other words, the point was, don't, as an American or other Western missionary, go to some country and so easily just fall into the American crowd or community where you speak the same language and you, uh, you know the the same rules of etiquette and all the things that, that you would have. They're saying you're going to be tempted to do that. Fight the temptation. So we were not told and we didn't feel like we had to obey Jesus, that this was, enough, that this was a command that everybody who is a missionary was to obey. But we did try to find the principle of this. And that was when we go... When we, whether we're preaching like this or whether we're doing uh, um, like sometimes we did uh, relief work or teaching in schools and stuff, have a sense of relying on God. That uh, relief work, anybody can do that. The Buddhists would come into the same city areas where we were and have hospital or what do you call it, uh, clinics 
as, as showing kindness to the community. Christians were doing that. It's, you don't have to do that. But to do spiritual ministry in the way Jesus is talking about here, you need spiritual tools. To be able to overcome the demons in people's lives, you have to have a spiritual ability to do that. And if God wants to do a spiritual uh, healing in your life, you need to have that special ability to trust God that he's the one that does these things. Um, So they went out and they were to preach the kingdom. If you're interested in knowing what what they preached, read the book of Luke or, or the other Gospels and you'll get that same sense of, okay, this is what they meant by preaching about the kingdom of God is near. Uh, I did have uh, one commentary I liked. He said, based on the, uh, the gospel accounts, the disciples no doubt spoke about the nearness of God's kingdom. They talked about, they challenged people to see the evidence of these miracles. These are, you saw that? God did that. And so if we see miracles, be, be uh, having soft hearts to say, yes, God, you're the one who is able and was willing to do that. Uh, they noted that this was a special time that, uh, that when Jesus was there and the Messianic promises were being fulfilled. They called on everybody to repent and enter into this kingdom. And the people who refused were to know that God's judgment was drawing near. This is the same thing now. And the same the invitation is to us uh, if we haven't done so already, read, read the gospel messages, the, the gospel contents, and ask uh, somebody, if necessary, to help us read it with us so that we can get in and, and know what God wants us to do. Also, it says that they were supposed to heal people. Um, When, I want to just talk about that a little bit in the sense of the spiritual healings. I can remember one time I had a, a good friend in the Philippines that was, uh, uh, um, he was a missionary with one of the Pentecostal churches. And one time when we were talking about uh, miracles, I, I said, so, so tell me, uh, aside from, from healings that were, you know, I have a cold and in seven days <laughs> it's passed or I have a broken leg and in a couple, you know, people pray for it and in a couple, three weeks that it's healed. How about really special things like that? And he thought about it and he says, well, you know, that he is, he's observed. And I uh, says, well, one time before we came to the Philippines, we were doing street evangelism in uh, San Francisco. And there was a guy who was demon-possessed that approached us and was hassling us. And so there was exorcism and the demon left. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, here's a guy who is about my age. And in all of his ministry, in, in a Pentecostal church, he's had like one of these really special things that he's had. I thought, that's not much different than our... I was 
member of the Evangelical Free Church. <laughs> That's not too much different than the, the, you know, situations that we've had too. And when Gina, I was doing this, Gina and I were trying to come up with a list. We had about maybe six uh, special either exorcisms or healings that uh, uh, we could come up with, both here in the States and friends in the Philippines. And one of the things that I, I bring this up is to say, it's not a common thing. It's a special thing. It was a special thing at this time that, the, that Jesus was doing and others were doing, saying, you see these miracles, we want you to know that God is in this. Uh, it's not like you're supposed to expect miracles all the time. In fact, later on, uh, probably in one of uh, Pastor Mitch's sermons, Jesus is talking about, you just follow me for the miracles. You don't understand the miracle. You're, you want your food, you want your, your need met, but you're not really getting it that the source is God giving this through me. Um, so I'm praying that God will help us also in our generation, in our time and place, to see his hand when he's doing these special things. Um, before I end on that one, I just want to say that I was talking to a woman recently, maybe within the last couple of months, in, in Savers, and uh, it, was a, it was at the counter, so we couldn't talk more than just a few minutes, but she was, uh, one of her, her comments was <clears throat> that, that uh, she says, you know, angels, they're not just these little cuddly things on the shelves. She said, they are, they're big and they're, they're, they're mean and they are not afraid of people. And when, I, when she told me this, I was thinking, I know a lot of people nowadays are using the word angels to mean spirits. And when, what she's describing to me is not an angel as the Bible talks about. It's really talking more about a spirit that the Bible talks about as demons. And... Uh, and I, and I said, yeah, they're not afraid of people, but they are afraid of Jesus. She says, how do you know? I said, well, the Bible says that, that Jesus was given all authority in heaven on earth. And I, and I told her briefly about uh, some experiences I, I had known of of people in Fargo, North Dakota, where a woman was exercised. Actually, there were two men, women in different situations there. And uh, she said, I wish somebody would give me an exorcism. And because of the, the brief encounter, I just took a few seconds and just prayed with her right there. It was my and said, Lord, you help this lady. Please free her. Find, help her find somebody that can deal with this problem. Haven't seen her since. But it just shows me that this is not just a biblical time thing. It's times where every once in a while, you and I are going to be encountering this. Let's just remember what we're reading and say, God, you did it then. You can do it anytime. Uh, help this one. So he told the, 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 the apostles to travel light. How about their housing? Don't be picky. Uh, one of the things basically here is when you, if you find somebody that's going to be friendly to our movement and say, yeah, welcome in. Just stay there. Don't be moving around. Focus 
I think is his point is focus on the ministry, not on what's the right place to stay. You know, what if the, what if the guy invites me is, is not one of the nice homes in town? Uh, I'm going to put Gina on the spot when she was talking about wanting to be a missionary and she's thinking, boy, I hope God gets me a, a place where, a, a country where they have flush toilets. <laughs> so do you suppose any of these 12 maybe had some of these same kinds of uh, feelings of they're going and somebody says, come on in. And they're going, oh, boy, this is not quite like my house at home. Jesus said, when they invite you, stay there. It doesn't, spiritual ministry does not make a difference if it's taking place out of a mud hut or a mansion. It depends on God who is doing the work, not the physical location. And then he also says, in verse 5, wherever they don't receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. He's telling them to clarify rejection. And I think that in my life at least, and maybe some others, when we've tried to talk about the gospel and, and encourage people to become Christians, a lot of times we don't Try to clarify it to say, are you, are you accepting or are you rejecting? And because we don't want anybody rejecting, I make sure that uh, we get more friends on Facebook. And but but it's clear here that Jesus is saying, no, you might make it enemies by doing this. I had enemies. Jesus could tell them, it's not about us and how much people like us. We're talking about the kingdom of God here. And so if they are rejecting you and the message that you're trying to give that they know, they're rejecting me and the kingdom. They're rejecting the one who sent me, Jesus said. It's a serious thing. It's not just a sales pitch of Christianity, of come, come over you know, to my religion, come over to my, my, uh, my church. It's, it's dealing with the person rejecting God himself. The next section is about Herod being perplexed by Jesus. And uh, it, you've already read it about um, verses 7 to 9. As I was pondering this, I'm going to kind of skip over this in a sense because if you took this section out, the narrative would have just this very smooth flow. It's just so obvious that he's saying, Jesus called the twelve, he sent them out, and then in verse 10, they come back, and uh, they're going to have a retreat, and then they have the, the feeding of the 5,000. So it's like he's really focusing on this feeding of the 5,000. But, uh, and, and this is purely my guess, I told Pastor Mitch, it, it seems to me like Theophilus might be someone who, with a Greek name like that, maybe he was aware of the political situations and stuff. And he would be wondering, well, wasn't, was, what did the Roman government think about this thing that's going on? And so this is a natural place. He sticks this in, in here. And just, and, and it's like Luke is saying, yes, Herod was aware of Jesus. It was not 
done in any kind of a, uh, a secret thing. It would be natural for, for a political leader, as he's hearing about these crowds following a person, to wonder, okay, let's, let's get some reports. What's he doing? What's he saying? Oh, now he's sending out 12 more to do his same kind of stuff, and they're having all this good, good things happening. Uh, but, but a leader's question is going to be, friend or foe? You know, is he a threat or is he not a threat? And they go, well, they don't have weapons. They're, it seems to be a nonviolent movement. And so then he's reacting of, well, who is this guy? And he wanted to see him. So I think it was, either he was just curious or maybe he really wanted to find out, was John raised from the dead? I would recognize John if, if it was him that was raised from the dead. So uh, then he, he picks up after this. And, and in verses uh, 11 to 17, it's like he's saying, Theophilus, I need to tell you about the miraculous meal that was given to 5,000 people. You've probably heard about it. Um, by the way, all, this is the one miracle that all four Gospels had. So it is really significant. It was obviously very uh, known in that early church situation, and, and maybe uh, Theophilus had known about it. He <coughs> says... It really did happen, Theophilus. Um, it was actually intended to be a retreat time in a beautiful Bethsaida area. Did you guys, when you were in Jerusalem, happen to get up to Bethsaida? It's a, it's what they call it like the Jordan Park now. Uh, I've had friends who have gone to Israel and they got up there and said it's beautiful. They just love that area up there north of uh, it's the area where the Jordan River flows into the, uh, um, the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is going to take them to this cool area for a retreat. But uh, as Mark tells us in Mark uh, 6, 31-34, he says that Jesus took, took the disciples the boat away, and the people found out where they were going, and they were there ahead of them. So they don't even get off the boat. They're seeing the people already waiting for them. Uh, so much for the retreat, right? And I see something, some stuff that maybe we can copy here. Jesus demonstrates love for these people that saw him. I think I would have been pretty frustrated. I would be, you know, I planned this for my 12. <sighs> And now we've got these people that are expecting more miracles and teaching. But he doesn't, we don't see that at all. Jesus just loved them. It says he welcomed them. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he cured those who had need of healing. Same thing. You know, he'd done it earlier. He sent his disciples out to teach the kingdom and heal. And now it continues. And it will continue. The, the crowds are there and he teaches them the kingdom. He, he, he heals their physical needs. I'm sure that there would have been spiritual uh, uh, demons. That he, if they were there, he would have cast them out also. By the way, we know from other parts that Jesus was aware, as I mentioned earlier, 
some of the people were not really there just because they wanted to understand him and join his kingdom. He says, he knows that some of them were just there to have their, their needs met, not because they understood their true spiritual needs. And, and yet there were also some that were true seekers. They were the ones that, hey, I heard about the kingdom, sign me up, you know. Uh, give me the give me the the political sticker that says uh, I'm I belong here with with God's kingdom. Um, there I don't know if, if there were some we read about sometimes where the Pharisees had put spies in to try to trick him up. The crowd is going to be mixed people, and Jesus knows that. And I just mention this because. Um, Sometimes life relationships for us also get complicated. And some of the people that are near us are for us, but maybe only on the surface. And, and just know when you're kind of frustrated with that, Jesus understands. The people that came to him were all, not all just on board for him. And so he had done what he told the apostles to do. Taught, healed, but there was this problem. Nature forced its way into the situation through a setting sun. And uh, so let me just read this section and we'll talk about it. Uh, verse 12. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And he said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we were to go buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. Uh, and he said to them, have the men sit down, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven and said, a blessing over them. And then he broke the lead. The loaves gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate were satisfied. Uh, what were the options? If you're one of the apostles that are there. Sun setting. People don't want to go away. Jesus, would you stop talking and send them away? What are we going to do? You know, are we just going to all sleep here? Uh, they were, some of them were businessmen. They, they had logical minds, you know. Uh, so they, the options they had were one, send the people away because they're not going to go unless you tell them Jesus. Number two, after Jesus kind of says about what well, you feed them, uh, we could buy food for 5,000 people. Uh, imagine going to town and getting 5,000 fish filet sandwiches. Uh, that's a lot of food to haul back. And they would, of course, a lot of people to help them. Um, hey, Judas. How much money do we have in the money, money bag? You know, maybe they have a lot. Who knows? <laughs> but that was an option. And uh, Jesus says, though, um, I want you to feed them. He knows it's going to be miraculous. Uh, one of the other Gospels says Jesus knew what he was going to do. And so he, this is also a teaching time for the disciples. I sent you out to rely on God, and he did. And he used you. And now people are coming to us. And instead of us seeking to the lost, the lost are seeking us. 
And, and we're also going to show them God's power here too. So he instructs the, the disciples to coordinate the people into groups of about 50. That made sense, you know, you got 100 groups or so. Uh, they're going to stop milling around. You can deal with them as you distribute the food. You probably have pathways to, to walk to do it. It just it made logical sense. And I noticed too that, you know, if, if each apostle had about uh, eight groups, that's about 400 people, like a small village, and they're already getting the sense of responsibility. I have these people, and in this case, I need to make sure they get food. But there's a sense of responsibility that, that's part of leadership that, that was happening here in the way Jesus did this. The apostles obeyed. That's a good thing for us to copy when Jesus tells us to do something. At this point, they wouldn't have known uh, what, what he was intending, but they obeyed anyway. And uh, so then Jesus took the available food. He did uh, a, a Jewish meal blessing. It's not like he somehow magically blessed this food to multiply. It was typical uh, for, they would say, uh, something like, um, we bless thee, O Lord. We thank thee for food or this other stuff that we have before us. Um, and, and the commentary said sometimes that they broke bread as they prayed this, this blessing on the meal. So this is what was happening. Jesus took it, he broke the bread, and then uh, he gave it out. And we're all curious, right? I mean, how did this take place? Where did the multiplication take place? So it in his hand, he just kept breaking, 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 breaking. 5,000 people. Uh, was it in the disciples' hands? Uh, or was, I think one of the movies uh, deals with this. I thought it was a good way. It's like um, he puts them in a basket or something, and then he, he, he pours the basket, and the basket just keeps pouring out, and stuff like that. But I'm reminded that, that it's... Uh, and it would have been the same potentially for the people who were there. You see something, and is this a magic trick? How did that guy do that? You know, where did that rabbit come from? I, uh, uh, but it's one thing for one rabbit; it's another thing for you know five thousand happy meals. But the uh, uh, we know that it was not some kind of ephemeral type of a magic thing or hypnosis, because he says that uh, it was real food, they ate, they were satisfied, and there was 12 baskets left over. One of the guys that I read said, these are not just little backpack baskets, these were big baskets that, that uh, had significant um, amount that they could be put into them. Leftovers are collected. God didn't want just the leftovers to be, okay, we've had our good meal, now let's just forget the rest. No, they were collected. And again, just in the practical in our daily lives, this is something that evidently God likes. And, guess what? That's the end. Luke just stops there. <laughs> and it's like, uh, there's no wrap-up of, of where did the people sleep? You know, did the, were the apostles able to continue their retreats? Um, it, it just why was it recorded? Why did Luke deal with it? And I think that's where I got my title. Is that he's reporting this took place. It really did, Theophilus. 
and for you and I too. It really took place. It was a true miracle that God, through Christ, through the disciples, was able to feed this many people when he chose to do it. And so my, my uh, challenge is, let's tuck this deeply away into our brains so that when God needs to, he can pull it out and we will have the faith that we need for whatever situation that God is calling us to deal with in the future. Let's pray. Thank you, O oh God, for this reminder of the obedience of the disciples, no doubt the joy that they had in, in ministering in your behalf. And then in seeing, getting out of their comfort zones in order to uh, uh, have these people sit down and then seeing your great supernatural miracle of provision that when you need to, when it needs to be done, you are able. You are always able. Help us also, Lord, in our hearts to be willing and ready anytime that you want us to do something special or maybe that's out of our comfort zone to always have faith that you can do what needs to be done. 